you start seeing patterns as to mm. what are the things that are making an impact. And that's important because then you really see what's working and what's not working. So when it comes to content pillars, you can even use that information to create your content strategy and to make sure that the things that you're actually talking about in social media and the content that you're creating that is actually landing and that is actually connecting with people. I'm Jo Chan Yan. And I'm Donna He, and we are two brand designers who met on Instagram, and now we are great friends. We can't get enough about nurturing your brand and your mindset when it comes to building a conscious, vision-led business. We love honest conversations and digging deep into the things that contribute to your path in making a positive impact in the world. Hello, and welcome to the Brand Journey Podcast. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode. We are so happy that you're joining us and to kick things off we thought we would do a little icebreaker at the start of each episode. So how (laughs) this will work is we're going to ask each other a random question that we don't know what the other person is going to ask us beforehand and we're just going to break the ice or just get us a little bit warmed up with this first question. So my question for Donahue is, when you were little, what was a pet that you really wanted that you couldn't have or maybe that you ended up getting? Oh, that's so funny because I don't think I ever wanted any pets. <laughs> that's funny. I It's funny because we did have a dog. But, okay, so I grew up in Nicaragua, and when I was growing up, pets, to me, were not really a thing. Like, you have dogs and you have cats, but those are not usually treated in the way that we treat our animals yes. here. They're usually either strictly for protection or guarding the house and stuff like that. I have a functional job. (laughs) Yeah. You might have birds or turtles and bunnies and stuff like that, but I never had a pet. We never had a pet. My families didn't have pets, so I don't think it was something. I think my uncle was the only one that I knew that had a bird. Mm. But other than that, I don't remember wanting a pet until I became an adult and I started really liking dogs and I really wanted to have a dog so um, when I got married my husband and I used to go to dog parks and just to (laughs) kind of get an idea of the type of dog that we wanted to get and uh, so eventually we got our whippet Nala who's eight now. Oh that's so sweet I love that (laughs) <laughs> it took you so long before you had your first pet, which is what makes, I think, the journey extra special when you do have her in your life. That's really lovely. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Okay. So my question for you, Joe, is what is your favorite board game? Oh, this is a really hard one. Oh. <laughs> I love board games. I'm not very competitive. So Me either. I like Catan, but I think that can start friendly fights. 
<laughs> because everybody's very protective of their longest road or what little piece of land that they're going to take over <laughs> next. Um, so I don't know. Even though I enjoy Catan, I don't think it would be my favorite. The one that I really love, and I've been playing it for just a little while, but I'm really in love with it. It's called Wingspan, and it's this oh. indie uh, board game. It's about birds and collecting it, oh, how funny. It's kind of like a, a habit. Yeah, creating a habitat of birds. It's kind of like Catan, but not as competitive because you're more focused on cultivating a, a habitat in which you're able to raise birds for yourself. So you're not using those birds for competitive gain. <laughs> yeah. So it's oh. it's really lovely. It's beautiful. There's lots of like little pieces, like little eggs that you can collect <laughs> and things like that. And I think the whole design of it is so beautiful. If you see the cards, they're all illustrated in a way that's really botanical. It's like oh the old my style gosh. botanical uh, scientific illustrations and there's like little facts about each bird on the cards. So that's why it's my favorite, just from the aesthetics alone, plus the gameplay. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I have to look that up, which reminds yeah. me now, I want to build a botanical card game. That sounds really fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so beautiful. And some of the card games now look so gorgeous. Like the artwork style is so interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Today we're going to talk about what it means to nurture our brand. We mentioned this a little bit on our intro in the podcast and some of the content that we put together. So we wanted to touch on this and discuss what this actually means and what it actually looks like in practice. I know that sometimes when you hire a designer or you finish working on a project, people tend to feel like it's a done deal. And that once you have your beautiful looking brand and you have a good brand strategy, that you're good to go. Really, I see that just as the beginning of it. What we're doing here is we're building our businesses, we're building brands, and they both take a lot of time to build and to grow. Anyone can really just start a business doing whatever they want. But I think growing and building a successful brand takes time and energy, and it takes a lot of consistent effort. We think of our brands like a reputation, right? We are trying to build something that's specific, something that is consistent, and that takes a lot of time. When we think of nurturing your brand, we think of the work that we need to keep doing so that we establish ourselves. This is also known as brand building. It's kind of like we're building the reputation for our brand. And this is basically building credibility and trust between us and our clients or customers. And in order to create that long-lasting relationship with them so that we build a loyal customer base, we also call them brand ambassadors, super fans of our brands, etc. So some things that go into brand building, brand strategy, creating your visual identity as a brand that's recognizable, and marketing strategies that make sense for our business. We talked about this a little bit before, how I think of nurturing our brands as a garden and how with a garden, you have to really think about what's going into the garden so that 
you can get the results that you want. You have to keep it alive. You have to keep watering it. You have to have the right soil in it. You have to pay attention to what's going on, what's working, what's not working. There must be a consistency to it, and it takes a lot of work and upkeep to make that happen. So how can we nurture our brand and our business when working with a brand strategist or a designer afterwards? What are some things that we can do as business owners to maintain our garden, our brands, and our business? This always starts with having strong strategies in place to begin with. So having those really strong foundations, beginning with a brand strategy uh, or a business strategy and then a marketing strategy or also having a strong content strategy. Taking note how these strategies are actually working for you and paying attention to the results or the lack of results that they're providing. Thinking of how people are connecting with you and your message. How are they connecting with your content? Are you actually providing the value that you think you are providing or that you want to provide? The value that they actually need versus what you think they need? Are your services positioned to solve their unique problems? And is the price point of your services actually the right price point for you? Is that price point serving you? Is your content actually speaking to them and reaching them? How do they feel and what's the impact that you're leaving behind? It could be something like, are you spending too much time on client work and not enough time on your business? Taking a step back and doing an audit in your business and shifting things so that you are making decisions that are helping you grow. Joe, what are other things you think that we can do as business owners by ourselves to help us nurture our brand? I love these questions that you've asked because it really prompts deeper thought. And one of the things to summarize everything um, that we can dive a little bit deeper into today is just this idea of exploring, playing and refining your brand over time. And that really helps nurture your brand to grow continuously because you're experimenting, you're exploring, and you're coming at things from a place of curiosity rather than from a place of needing things to work the first time you do something. Mm -hmm. So it just gives you a little bit of space in your business because sometimes we can put so much pressure on ourselves. And I know that for a lot of small businesses, once they've gone through the branding process, they feel like everything should just work perfectly from that point onwards. And that's not always the case. Like what happens if people aren't really resonating with certain aspects. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the branding isn't working or that the process was a waste, but it's just about understanding what you could do to refine it even more. That's just a natural part of growing your brand and nurturing it to grow because there's an intention for it to be something that evolves over time with how you evolve and how your business evolves. I think, too, that we get attached when we invest in our business to get a specific outcome. We want that, like you said, that perfect end result. Mm. And we want for things to be done because we're putting work, we're putting our resources into that. 
And it's a good reminder that a lot of these things that we invest in are setting us up so hopefully, I mean, I think of it like this, that I'm gaining the tools and the knowledge to better myself as a business owner and continue growing my business and use those tools and that knowledge to make better decisions. And doing the branding process is really about creating that strong foundation so that it gives you a really grounded perspective to build your business upon. And without that, sometimes things can feel a little bit shaky, like the architecture can feel a little bit shaky. So that's why it's really important to have the branding process be that foundation for your business. (laughs) So some of the things that we could actively and continuously be exploring and playing in our business is around connecting with your ideal customers. Sometimes we feel like we're only connecting with our ideal customers if they're purchasing a product or if they're working with us directly. However, sometimes we want to be reaching out and really seeing how your ideal customers are responding to your brand continuously, whether or not they might be purchasing from you or signing up. So sometimes this could be about reaching out to previous ideal customers that you've worked with in the past and interviewing them (coughs) to understand how their experience was Mm -hmm. or getting insights, new insights that may really help shift your business forwards. It could be also about asking them what they struggled with, what they didn't understand, what they resonated with, what they didn't resonate with during that process. Understanding and being able to identify these things that might be key things that you could work on could actually shine a light on things that maybe you weren't aware of that people experienced when they were working with you or when they were trying to connect to your brand. I think that's a really good point and a really big benefit from doing that interview and talking to your past clients about these things is that you can keep shifting your messaging to be more clear and clear and clear and more focused around the exact things that they're telling you. Yeah. And so much comes from these interviews. I found that when I was working with my clients and they were going through their interview questions and their research, they realized that there were all these words that their ideal customers were saying about their brand that they never even thought of Mm. for themselves. They didn't realize that their customers were calling their business XYZ. And so all of these little things are actually really invaluable because it means that you can embed them back into your copy and your messaging Mm -hmm. over time. Your content. Yeah, absolutely. And even like, as you were saying, with the prompts, the price point, the offerings, all of those things can be guided really by what your ideal customers are responding to. Those are some really good points. What are some things around education? How can we Mm. use education to nurture our brand and our business? Yeah, so I feel like this keeps coming back in my business as well, but also that of my clients. Every time we make a big shift in our brand, we need to almost tell people about the changes that have happened. Sometimes our audience is not going to be aware necessarily of all the little tweaks that we're making in our business. 
and especially when it comes to branding, because sometimes branding can be quite subtle. I'm not talking in this case about a new website or anything like visual. that. I think new, yeah, visual branding can be a little bit more distinctive and you definitely will notice it if you go to someone's site and everything feels different. But some of the changes that we make to our copy or our messaging can actually be quite subtle. And when we're getting clearer around our positioning, our brand positioning, this is how we are speaking and connecting with the clients that we really want to work with and we love to serve. When we're able to do this, sometimes the type of information that we might provide or the the type of content that we provide to our audience is going to change. Mm -hmm. I feel like with the educational piece, it's not necessarily about educating people on information related to your business necessarily. It, it's more about reiterating the type of content that you're going to create moving forwards. It's really about emphasizing or doubling down on maybe content pillars that you think are going to definitely help and be of service. Reiterating that message many times over is actually really helpful because sometimes when people are scrolling through our social media or they're hopping onto our website, they're only spending maybe seven seconds on average connecting to a piece of content before moving on when it's our websites. Yeah. When it's on social media, it's probably even less than that. So we want to be able to continuously create that message over time, and it can be done in different ways. Yeah, and around the content pillar point is that going back to taking note on what people are connecting to and what they're not, using the language that we are learning about through our clients and how they feel, taking note on when you have discovery calls or inquiry calls or sales calls or whatever you want to call them, having an idea of why people are reaching out to you, why is driving them to connect to you and be interested in working with you. I started making notes on what people are saying when they reach out to me because it's always interesting to see and to learn what they're connecting to and why they're interested in finding more about my work or what I do or how we can work together. And you start seeing patterns as to mm. what is the, what are the things that are making an impact. And that's important because then you really see what's working and what's not working. So when it comes to content pillars, you can even use that information to create your content strategy and to yes. make sure that the things that you're actually talking about in social media and the content that you're creating that is actually landing and that is actually connecting with people. Sharing value isn't always just about sharing how-to content. You know, it's also about how you're making people feel through your mm. content and that impact that you're leaving behind. So it's really important to be aware of all of the ways that you can communicate and reach people and connect with people because you start getting clues as to what's working and what's not working and the language that you can start tweaking to better connect to those people. Yes, this is such a good point because I feel like 
when, and we've spoken about this in the past, about our businesses and how it took us a long time for people to really understand what it was that we did. <laughs> and that is the brand journey right there because it is yeah. <laughs> a evolution of helping people understand what our values are when it comes to our own businesses. And it will likely be that for a lot of other small businesses as well. I found that when I first started saying that I was an intuition coach, that is typically a very strange combination to have as a <laughs> Yeah. as a designer as well, as a brand designer. But it's so unique. It's unique, but I feel like a lot of people may not have understood it to begin with. Mm. And it's only probably the last year and a half, last two years, that people have used the words intuition and intention and vision, brand vision, branding, mm -hmm. intentional branding, mirrored those words back to me ideal customers in, in terms of the discovery forms that I have. So in, in terms of their answers. So that's when I know that it's landing. But yeah. before then, because I didn't actively talk about intuition, I didn't actively talk about intention or intentional branding necessarily or helping people run a conscious business. It wasn't the kind of content I was putting out at the time. Many years back, I was really all about posting about things that I was eating that was making me happy. <laughs> so I wasn't really receiving that back, you know, in, mm -hmm. in terms of my business. So part of that content strategy for me was really making sure that every time I was creating some type of content, whether it was a blog post or whether it's a podcast or whether it was an interview, whether it was a workshop, anything at all, whatever that touch point was, it had to go back to my values. It had to relate back to what I knew was something that I did well and that I could serve my clients. And that was around intentional branding, running a conscious business and intuition. So the more that I did that over time, the more you could see that it's reflected back in the type of clients that I was able to work with and that were naturally connecting with that message. Yeah, going back to the education piece and language, when, you know, you were saying how before you weren't mentioning intuition or intentional branding and using that language and how you weren't having those conversations or listening or hearing those words from your potential clients, part of it is that as we become clear and clear and as we learn about what is happening and what's resonating, what's connecting and all those things, our own positioning gets more clear and we start to really narrow down to those really essential words that are truly attracting the right people that we want And I feel it's like a refinement, you know, you just keep refining and refining that language. And I consistently do that even just on my Instagram bio, because sometimes I take an audit and I pay attention to that language again and I just change it up. I haven't touched it in a while because I know that what I have right now is working, but it's something to be aware of and yeah. to not feel like it's completely set in stone, you should revisit and you should really think about how that is reaching the people that you want to reach. If you're getting feedback from people who 
maybe come across your website or your social media accounts and there could be a usually it's maybe like a family member or a friend and they're like I don't get it like what are you doing I don't understand <laughs> just filter this through in terms of are they your ideal exact client or customer because there's been so many times where I've had this conversation with a client and they feel like their brand is not cutting through or it's not communicating in essence it is it's just that the people that are giving them the initial feedback is not the people that they really want to be connecting with in the first place so just keep that in mind because mm-hmm. sometimes that can lead us to dilute our brand message or our copy because we want to make it super clear to everyone whereas it really just needs to speak to the people that we want to serve at the end of the day not only for the language but when we're talking about visuals and stuff, those are not really personal preferences that we should be basing our decisions on or our spouses or our best friends and parents. <laughs> but yeah, it, again, it's, it's really all about your ideal client, right? As we continue to nurture our brands, you will probably feel like your brand personality, as Donahue mentioned, gets a little bit more defined. There is a clearer sense of knowing who you are when it comes to your brand and who you're not. So what is your brand and what isn't your brand? The idea really is to, again, think of that reputation that you want to build about your business. This is what we're trying to achieve is just credibility and trust with our ideal potential clients and customers so that we are attracting the right people and that we're creating a loyal customer base, uh, building long-term relationships. And it's all about establishing who we are through our brand voice, our brand personality, our look and feel, the customer experience, and all of the things that make us unique and Mm -hmm. helps us stand out as who we really are, that reflect our values, our mission, our why, It's really about thinking about these things and how you can keep refining more and more and more and more to get to the core of who you are and like what you're trying to achieve. I think of nurturing your brand in that way, just like a continuous practice of refining, refining, refining after you've worked with a brand designer, a business coach, a marketing coach, anybody. It's just using those tools to keep narrowing things down. So Donahue, what are some tips that people could action or explore from listening to this episode from today about nurturing your brand garden? (laughs) I love the brand garden. So when you go back to reputation, one thing you can do consistently is creating content that shows your expertise and builds your authority. That is an easy way that you can build your reputation and just being consistent with it and having a consistent online presence. Yeah, I love that. What's another thing that you'd like for people to take away with that's easy to implement? I would love for people to be doing a little bit of a brand audit. So whether that is interviewing their ideal clients or potential clients, 
every six months is a really good time frame to do mm. it. And it doesn't need to be a, with a lot of people either. You could get amazing results from just selecting five people and asking them a few questions. So that would be something that I would recommend because it would just uncover a lot of insights that maybe you didn't really know that your brand could continue to refine further. We hope that you enjoyed this episode about nurturing your brand. And we just wanted to remind you that for the first 90 days that our podcast is live, if you leave a review, you get an amazing freebie that Joe and I are super proud of. It's called From Overwhelmed to Focus. We both walk you through how you can create your vision, incorporate your values into your brand, and how to set goals that align to both your vision and your values. And we created a few Notion templates to help you keep track of your goals and break them down in very easy, actionable steps. You can get this freebie if you send us a review through Apple Podcasts and let us know through a DM on Instagram, and we will send that over to you. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time.